Hi, welcome to Coffee, Cake, and Kegels. This is episode 20. Today's episode is about stalking. So with that will come a trigger warning. For those of you with lived experience or those who have lost a loved one to the violence associated with stalking, this episode may or can trigger memories, emotions, or PTSD in relation to the event or events you have experienced. So with that said, um, we have a guest host today, and it is someone who is very near and dear to my heart, and she's also um, experiencing stalking now, actually, and is in the process of a legal battle with her stalker. Um, before I get to that, though, I want to talk a little bit about stalking, what it is, and um, really how media has romanticized the idea of stalking. I'm not sure if any of you have seen the show You, that's on Netflix. Um, you know, I've seen so many people say comments like, especially you know, on social media, like, oh, I wish I had a boyfriend like him the main character on the show. Um, Right now, his name is drawing a blank to me, but I think it's actually Joe. I think that's his name. Um, You know, they romanticize this idea of him, and, you know, he's controlling, he's psychotic, and there's nothing romantic about it. So, you know, I don't know. I just feel like stalking today is almost like not... it's, It's like laughed at almost. I I can't explain it, but it's just, it's not right. Um, In the United States, one in six women are stalked. And what's really scary is that less than one third of the states actually classify it as a felony. So many women are murdered by their stalkers. Um, 76% of them actually are murdered. And 54% of women reported the stalking before they were murdered. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's terrible. It's scary. And it's, it's disgusting how these things are always done to women. Yes, men get stalked too, but you know, it's not as frequent. So what is stalking? Um, a person is guilty of stalking when They intentionally and for no legitimate reason engage in a course of conduct directed at a specific person. Um, You know, then there's aggravated stalking. That's when the person violates an order of protection. So either way. But like I said, only one third of the states recognize this. And, um, you know, by the time something is, is done, it's usually too late. So with that said, I'd like to introduce my co-host. I'm withholding her name, obviously, for many reasons. Um, so say hello. Hello. <laughs> happy to be here. Good. I'm so happy to have you. Um, so today I wanted to just get your story. So maybe we could help other women who are in this situation understand what it's like, what are the warning signs of stalking, um, and what they can do, especially if they are in the tri-state area. Okay. Okay. So my first question is, how did you, how did you meet your stalker? So he was a family friend 
um, that I had known but lost touch with for many years. And one day I was traveling on public transportation and bumped into him. He asked me if I was dating anybody, asked for my number, texted me, took me on a date, and then the rest was history. Well, I want to talk about that history. <laughs> so I'm not letting you off the hook with that. Um, so what were some of the red flags that, you know, were early on for you that now you look back and you're like, oh, my God, these were signs? Yeah, so in the beginning, for the first three months, he laid it on pretty thick, you know, very thoughtful, went on nice dates, was really sweet, romantic, all of that. Um, our first big fight happened when I had went to a baseball game with my best friend instead of him, but it was because he was sick and he couldn't come, and he had asked me to go to dinner with his parents who were in town visiting. Um, and when I said I still wanted to go to the game, he, like, flipped out on me, threatened the relationship. And then after that, it just got, I guess, easier for him to get mad at me for a lot of little things. Anytime I would go out, um, he would ask me, you know, are you going to be drinking? How many drinks? Promise me you're only going to have three drinks. Um, one time I went out for a work dinner, and the work dinner was, like, four hours and he did not believe that I was at that dinner for four hours, calling me a liar, to the point where I was sending him like picture proof while I was on my way home. Which is really right. sad that you have to prove to someone who supposedly cares about you where you are. There were times when I would go out after work with some of my colleagues and I would just take an Uber home from where I was going out and I would just have the Uber drop me off instead of going to pick up my car. And because I didn't go pick up my car, he would flip out on me. You were drinking. You're a liar. He just tried to make me feel bad about a lot of things. And he tried to have a very tight grip over me when I would go out and do things. And what was his, like, why couldn't he go out? What was, why didn't he, if he didn't believe where you were, why couldn't he go with you? Did you tell him you didn't want him to go with you, or? No, there were, every time, I, I asked him to do a lot of things with me that he didn't want to do, and that even included, like, coming to my family's house for holidays. He always had a reason why things had to be his way, and if you ever gave him any pushback as to why they were that way, he would totally flip the script and try to make me feel bad for it. Um, there was one time where I wanted him to come out to a bar with me and my best friend and her friend was visiting from out of town and he was like, you know, I don't go to bars, they make me uncomfortable, I don't drink. He claimed he had some bad experiences with his ex-girlfriend and his last relationship when it came to alcohol. She did things when she was drunk and he just didn't approve of drinking. So naturally every time when I wanted to go out, it was always, it was always an issue. And he never wanted to come with me. So that was on him. It's not like... Right. I never once told him, you know, no, I'm, I don't want you to come. Mm -hmm. He made it very clear that he was against it and didn't want to come with me. And it's interesting because he, even despite him not going with you, he still tried to... He had you in a grip of control right. by telling you, don't have more than this amount of drinks, don't do this, don't do that, you know? So he was always like, he had a grip on you. Right. Hmm. Okay. So what happened? Like, how did the like what happened to the relationship? So obviously it fizzled out or whatever. But like, what happened? Who broke up with who? 
you know, give us the details. So we were together for <coughs> just under a year. Um, he broke up with me right before Christmas. Um, he was dealing with... His living situation was pretty up in the air. The apartment that he was renting, the landlord was selling the house, but he refused to leave willingly. He gave her a very hard time. Um, and he just claimed that the stress of him not knowing where he was going to live when he easily could have just squashed that and moved once he was told that he needed to move. Um, but instead he decided to be stubborn and just take a more complicated route. Um, but anyway, he claimed that all that stress just was taken away from the relationship that I deserved, even though by that point I wasn't even in a relationship I deserved, but I stuck around, um, and then we continued to hang out, all that kind of stuff, for about a, the following year, but at that point, I just literally woke up one day, and I was like, I know this situation isn't for me, I know he's not the one, so I just decided that in order for me to move on with my life, I had to close that door, and I tried to have a civil conversation with him about that, but... Obviously, it did not go as well as I intended because here we are having a, a conversation about how I ended up with a stalker. It's true. <laughs> and I know, you know, like we're laughing about it or whatever, but I know it's not funny. No, yeah, no. It's... But at this, at this point where you are, it's like we have to laugh a little bit right, to kind of get through it, you know? Mm. So, um, so when did the stalking begin so when I had first told him that I didn't want to be with him anymore have anything to do with him um he kept blowing up my phone with text messages phone calls to the point where I had to block his phone number he then started texting me from um like generated fake numbers um sending me emails messaging me on Instagram, he sent me flowers, he sent me a very expensive Christmas gift, um, but I wasn't responding to anything at this point. Right, which is ironic because, you know, just, I know you, you haven't told, you know, obviously the audience, but telling, mm -hmm. no, like what I know, what are the things what are the things he said to you during your relationship? How did he make you feel during your relationship? Like once the honeymoon phase wore off, when the you know, the date going on, taking you out and things like that ended, what did he say to you to break your spirit? Yeah, I mean he would say a lot of a lot of things. Um he made comments about my weight. Um he told me once that I was the biggest girl that he has ever been with, and he didn't really know how to tell me that. And why do you need to tell someone that? <laughs> you know? Right. Like, you're the smallest penis I've ever had. <laughs> you don't tell someone that. <laughs> so. Right. And I was the same weight that I was when he x my number when I first ran into him, so it's... Exactly. Just to, just to drive the knife in. Right. Mm -hmm. um, he made comments about our sex life that... There were certain aspects of it that I couldn't deliver the way he was used to, and that was like a make-or-break thing for him. And it got to a point where, like, he would, like, 
it, it was kind of like, oh, well, it'll get better because I'm going to try to do that. Like, I, w- I would bend over backwards just to try to make him happy, but he would always, it would be something that, like, always came up. Um, Which made you feel really insecure. Like, yeah, it made me feel horrible. Yeah, like, I can't, I can't please my boyfriends or whatever the case is. There was, there was one time right before I was leaving to go on vacation where we had, like, a conversation. Well, we didn't even have a conversation, like, just we were you know doing things and I guess things didn't go the way he wanted them to and he didn't say anything to me about it so I went on my trip thinking everything was fine and I was away and I texted him this whole thing about how much I love him and I'm so grateful for him and all this stuff and he literally texted me back saying thank you for your kind words so it was like things like that sometimes that I just wasn't getting back all that I was giving that really would just like I read that and I was like that's also a mind game you know, like, right. let me keep her wondering. Let me keep her on edge, never knowing if I really care about her or not, or, you know. Yeah, because I am a very sensitive person. So when I pour my heart out to you in a text, and at that point we're together for quite a while, mm-hmm. for you to just text me back, thank you for those kind words, it was like... His puppy didn't die, <laughs> you know? Then, like... Well, then I sit there on my trip, and I'm like <laughs> thinking... You know, like, why did he say that? What's wrong? Because then I, you know, I would say, like, what's bothering you? He wouldn't tell me. Mm-hmm. He just played a lot of mind games with me. When he would get mad at me for things, there would be times where he wouldn't talk to me for hours. And he had a job where he would be commuting, like, the wee hours of the morning. And me knowing that, I would be like, you know, can you just answer me? Just let me know that you're okay. But then he, he would go, like, five hours without talking to me. Mm-hmm. Which, um, for people who listen to this um, podcast, there's an episode about relationships and that that particular thing you're speaking of is called stonewalling. When someone's mad at you and they put the wall up and they won't talk to you, nothing, it's abuse actually. So in any relationship, yeah. it could be with a lover or just a friend or whatever, you know, a parent, it's, it's, that's what it's called. So that's what, exactly what he was doing. <clears throat> when did, okay, so when did the stalking actually begin so I had told him I believe it was September I had outright said to him you know please stop contacting me I don't want to talk to you anymore and he started sending me he would send me emails I had blocked his email address but apparently when you block an email address you still get the emails that just go to your spam folder so I had thought he wasn't contacting me anymore, and then one day I was like, oh, let me check my spam folder, and I had, like, a handful of emails from him in my spam folder. Um, there was one day in October where I was home from work because it was a holiday, and my car was parked outside of my apartment, so he knew that I was home. And I'm sitting there watching TV, and he bangs on my door saying, hey, you know, can you just talk to me for a couple of minutes? And I was frozen in fear on my couch. Couldn't move. So, but what, I mean, I know we're talking about how the stalking, how the stalking, how the stalking started, but what made you feel fear? Like, cause I, I think that people would want to know like what, because <clears throat> texting someone all the time, emailing them might not necessarily elicit fear. So what made you feel afraid of him? I've seen him get angry. He never actually laid a hand on me, um, but there were some times where he would, you know, get really mad, and he just had this look of, you know, his face, you could just tell, he just saw red. Mm-hmm. So I've seen him 
get angry before. Um, there was also some things that he had told me about that he went through in his previous relationship where he got his ex-girlfriend fired from her job because she did something that, you know, aggravated him. I, I don't know if she was entertaining somebody else or, like, whatever the story was. Obviously, he painted her out to me like she was crazy. Or not crazy, but that she did a lot of bad things. But then now going through what I go through, like, who knows if that was the truth that he told me about how mm-hmm. she treated their relationship. Um, but he told me that he wrote letters to her manager and got her fired from her job. Um, somebody that she was either friends with or talking to, he found out where that person worked, parked outside of their job for seven hours, followed them home, like did things to their car. So he, you know, knowing all these things, I'm sitting here like, oh my God, he's going to get me fired from my job. Or even like, like talking to anybody else, I was afraid like, that he would find out and like try to do something. I was I was petrified. Right. I didn't I didn't want, you know, my life to be destroyed because this one person just couldn't handle me telling them I don't want to be with him anymore. And especially, you know, he told me those things. I didn't just I didn't just make them up and pull them out of nowhere. So I have all this in the back of my head of what he's capable of. Right. So it's like, you know, shit, I don't I don't want, you know, I don't want that to happen to me. Was there um, an event, too, you know, where maybe did he come, you went out somewhere, and, you know, he came, and... Yeah, so for my, um, not this past birthday, the one before, I had went out with some co-workers after work to celebrate my birthday, and I was with him the night before, and he was like, how much are you going to drink, how much are you going to drink? And at this point, we weren't even boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, so I was like, you know, I don't know, like three, four drinks, like it's my birthday. I'm not, you know, I want to go out and have a good time. I'm going out with people I'm close with, you know. Mm-hmm. You want no part of that. That's not my problem. So we um, were getting ready to, to leave to go to the bar that we were going to and I, me and him had gotten into like an argument and I think I might have said to him on that day like I don't think I could do this anymore mm-hmm. and he thought I was saying all that because I just wanted to go out and get really drunk and like not be bothered with him so he started like texting me from another number that I didn't have messaging me on snapchat calling me where are you going where are you going and he was I can tell he was angry with like the tone of his voice and how many times he was texting me and I didn't want to tell him because I was afraid that he was going to show up to this place cause a whole scene and I'm not I'm not that type of person I don't like that kind of drama that stuff just makes me very uncomfortable so I just didn't I kept trying to avoid telling him because I didn't want him to show up he was texting me and calling me so many times while I was out that one of the girls I was with literally just took my phone from me because it was on the table and it was just literally as soon as the, the call would end, another one came right through. And I will admit I did get very drunk while I was out and when I got back to my apartment, I didn't know at the time, but I had texted him saying I, um, I can't get into my apartment and he showed up. And at that time, I, like, came to my senses of, like, where I was and what I was doing. And he was just... 
I guess at that point I rem like I knew that he was angry at me. So then when he sh I, when he showed up at my door, and I started freaking out, and he was like taking videos of me um, on Snapchat, and then he he sent them to me like I saw them like the next morning. We were we were going back and forth to the point where my neighbor came outside and helped me get into my apartment, and I was just so. I guess, like, from seeing him and knowing that he was mad and the fact that he just, like, showed up at my door. I remember I called my mom hysterical and I was like, he's going to kill me. Like, I was just saying, like, all these things because I, I was just... You were afraid. I was. And the next day, that next morning, he showed up at my apartment door and I had unplugged my doorbell. But I heard him pressing the button like a million times because he was standing at my door banging so much that my neighbor their tenant came out and they were like is everything okay and I heard him say like oh yeah I'm just dropping something like whatever he said to her to just like shut her up so had you not unplugged the doorbell he would have been like repeatedly ringing to the point of driving you insane right yeah so that was um that was he texted and called me so many times that because at that point my parents got involved. Um, my dad said that I had 300 text messages and calls with his number. That's how many times he was contacting me that night. Oh my God, 300 times? I should have known then, <laughs> but... <laughs> well, you really should have known earlier than yeah. but... <laughs> but I guess, you know what? And everybody, everybody around me knew... But it's just, it's one of those situations where you don't really, you, nobody can make you feel ready to leave until you decide that you've had enough. And You're it, right. It took me about two years to come to that point. It's okay. I mean, listen. But I did. <clears throat> so. so, how did the stalking escalate? So aside from all, like, the reaching out to me through different methods of, you know, calls, emails, whatever, um, he had showed up to my apartment, and I had told my dad, because I obviously couldn't handle it on my own anymore, because I had told him to leave me alone, and he didn't. Right. So my dad had reached out to him, and, you know, said... Are you a man of your word? He said, yeah. He said, okay, from man to man, like, leave my daughter alone. She wants nothing to do with you. And he played the what if game with my dad. Well, what if I'm driving by her street? And my dad was like, that's fine. Just don't drive down her block. You have no reason to drive down her block. Well, there's only one bar in the area that we live in. So what if I'm, what if I'm there and I see her there? All of a sudden, now he goes to bars. Right. But he didn't go to bars the whole two years that I right, was hanging exactly. out. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to be at the same bar. Um, and my dad was like, that's fine. You are just not to approach or contact my daughter in any way. They had that conversation. Um, he actually showed up on the train that I take to work twice. One time he outright like sat next to me and tried to talk to me. Another. So let's count these. So you telling him you want nothing to do with him how many times before all this happened? So we had had a, it kind of like I initially told him and then it kind of like dragged out a little bit. But okay. then in September, I told him the last time 
please stop contacting me. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Okay, so that was already two, let's say, attempts. Yeah. Then your dad is, a, is your third. My dad reached out to him twice. So that's a fourth. Mm-hmm. So these are four attempts at telling this man to get out of your life and leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just, I just want everyone to understand. That's four attempts so far. Go ahead. Yeah, and I had told him in September I didn't want anything to do with him and all the emails and stuff and the, the text messages. I didn't respond to any of it. And then December rolls around, so now that's October, November, December, three months. I've had no contact with him because I have not spoken to him. And he sends me, like, a very expensive gift in the mail with a card that says to my best friend at Christmas time. Like, I haven't spoken to you in three months. Right. With a screenshot of a conversation that we had a year prior of me saying I wanted what he ended up buying me for that Christmas. Just like... And he was promising me the world to like, yeah, to like, win you back. Yes. Yeah. All the things I wanted to do while we were together that he was against, I don't do this. And he would say things to me like, well, would you rather a guy that like goes out and, and cheats or would you rather a guy that's going to be home and like take care of you? And I'm like, well, why can't I have a guy that's going to take care of me and treat me good, but also like do the things I want to do? Why do I have to pick? Right. Like, and that's wh- love is not choosing. Right. You know? Um, so yeah, it got to a point that, um, he just wouldn't stop. Okay, so then, after your dad asked him to leave you alone, he came onto the, onto the transportation, you know, public transportation you were on, and, um, he sat, he sat next to you, tried to talk to you. What did you do? I, I said, what the fuck are you doing? And what did he say? He said, um... He was like, you know, I just want to talk to you. There's no reason for, you know, you to hate me. Like, all these things. And I was like, did you not hear anything that my dad said to you? And, um, he just, he just tried. He kept trying to talk to me. And then I said, well, when I, you know, just don't sit next to me, whatever. And then we got off that mode of transportation onto the next one. And he sat right down next to me. And I and let's get this straight. He he had a job where he worked at night, mm-hmm. so he didn't have to be on the same the, the same, same time. Right, so he shouldn't have been commuting at the same. Right, time. you were you yeah. shouldn't have been commuting at the same time. And also, he would get on your train, subway, whatever, with you. And he lived nowhere near that station. He lived he lived near it, but. There's a station close to him, right. closer to yeah. him. Right. Um, so he deliberately went a little bit out of his way right. to specifically be on your commute. Yeah. Then there was another time where we ended up on the same, the same train again, but he stood in the back and just made sure that I saw him type of thing. He didn't actually come, come close to me. But I like looked back and I was like, oh my God, is that him? And then he, like, dodged his head, so he made sure that we made eye contact. Mm-hmm. So what was the final straw in you saying, I want to I wanna go to the police? What made you finally I, say, like, I'm done with this? I, I don't really know when, it, when I said I wanted to go to the police, because honestly, I was afraid of him getting arrested and then there being retaliation. I didn't... Like, I really wanted that to be a last resort. Right. But my parents were like, 
this this needs to end. This can't continue, and something has to be done. Because he's obviously not listening to you. He didn't listen to my dad. So it was like, what? there's no other option. So in January, I, we ended up going to the police. So it went on from September to January. So how did the police respond? Like, what was your experience going to the police with this? Did they did they feel this was stalking? Did they feel that you were just you're just being dramatic? Which I'm not I'm not saying that as because that's you know minimizing what women go through in this situation. Um, what was their what was their response to you? Yeah, I mean, I when I went, <clears throat> excuse me, when I went, I didn't even know the legality behind it and what this qualified as. Um, so I had just went with everything printed. I printed out all the text messages, all the emails, um, any type of communication that he tried to make with me. I printed it all, um, brought it with me, and I wasn't even like halfway through with telling them the instances of what I was dealing with. And they were like, "This is this is stalking, and this is you know he's going to get arrested for this." And okay. I panicked, and I was like, you know, I don't really want that to happen, because I know I'm afraid that if it happens, and like, what's he going to do to me, because he'll be, obviously, you know, he'll, he'll be pissed. Especially what he did to the last girl. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty, I was, I was pretty petrified, um, but I sat down with two domestic violence officers, because even though there wasn't physical violence involved because of our pre-existing relationship, it fell under this category um they really just like tried to reassure me and encourage me to go ahead and and you know file the police report because they basically said you know you don't want to not and then something happen or it get worse and then you know at least at that point I already had it documented on paper so Mm -hmm. if anything else did happen it would be like okay we already are aware of the situation and what may have you so because these these type of events, I mean, just in researching, if he if he didn't physically harm you, it's coming. That's how they operate. That's how abusers operate. And I believe his father was an abuser, right? I mean, that was nothing that he told me, but it's stuff I knew because the family friendship, the family relationship, prior. right? So, yeah, you know, it's, I think you did the right thing, you know, and I think anyone would say that, so. Um, so, so what happened? So, how did that, how did he wind up, like, how did this all come to, come to be? So, I filed the police report, um, the last time I had spoke to him, he was in between moving, so I didn't know where he was moving to. I only knew the address of where he lived when we were together. So it took it took about a week and a half for the police to find him. Which is absurd. I mean, they could find anybody they really need to find. Yeah, it took about a week and a half. Um, and that was really agonizing for me. That was very stressful. Because there was also, there was a warrant out for his arrest. So they told me, like, if you see him in your commute, you have to call 911, like, because there's a warrant out for his arrest. And I, 
I was already afraid that I even like went and did what I did. So then the thought of like seeing him again and having to call nine one one that just it all freaked me out. But um, yeah, I got the phone call like at nine o'clock the day that he was arrested, and they told me, you know, they got him. He was arrested. He was being arraigned the next day, where like a judge would tell him, you know, what he was there for. He at that moment he was issued. For an order of protection or... A temporary order of protection. Okay. So he was given the the temporary order of protection, signed off on in front of the judge, whatever that process was, I wasn't there, so I'm not 100% certain. Um, And then that, that next day, the same day he got arraigned, he got arraigned in the morning and then that afternoon... I had to go to some family court type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to meet with like a domestic violence counselor who was, you know, like, you know, do you feel safe talking to me? Can you tell me what happened? And that that whole that whole experience was really just. I remember walking in there and I had to write like my name and his name on a on a thing. And just to even be there and have to go through that, I was like, I can't even believe that I'm I'm in this situation. I just totally broke down. I couldn't even keep it together the whole time I was there. Um, so then after I spoke to that individual, then I sat with the prosecutor um, who basically asked me to just walk through, you know, my side of everything, how we got to that point, um, and tell me basically what the next steps were. Um, so I was given a temporary order of protection which is good until there's a trial. Um, but he wants to take me to trial because he wants to get this whole expunged from his record. So the only way for that to happen would be if we go to trial and he's found not guilty. It goes away. Um, if we go to trial and I win, then I get an order of protection and I believe it's good for a year. Say that again? It's good for a year. A year. Right. There were other, yeah. I'm not, this is absurd. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's where we're at now. Because of COVID, the courts have been closed, so I haven't really had to make a decision officially yet. But whenever, whatever I decide, if I decide, you know, I don't want to go through with the trial, if my temporary order of protection goes away, um, if I decide I do, then we go through the motions of a trial. Okay. But the prosecutor told me that with my case, it's really 50-50. I took that as basically because there wasn't any, like, physical harm done to me. Right, he didn't kill you, so... Yeah, and he sent me, you know, he sent me nice gifts and... Oh, my God. All that kind of stuff. So I could just imagine how his defense attorney would make it seem. Right. So that puts me in the kind of situation where it's like, do I want to go through all that? Do I want to sit on a stand and have somebody tell a jury that I over-exaggerated and I'm just trying to ruin this person's life because I'm, like, upset about a breakup or something. Right. And isn't that sad? Like, that this is what you have to deal with as a woman? You know? There's so much aggression towards women to begin with. So many people have been stalked. Like, the girl who was from Freehold, New Jersey, a couple of, like, what was that, like, a month... Like months back, mm-hmm. her you boyfriend know? killed her. Her yeah. ex-boyfriend killed yeah. her. Yeah, her ex-boyfriend killed her. Like, this is what's going on, and there's no, 
way to this to stop these guys you know there's just no laws in place you know it's yeah I mean I will say they you know they I mean in my personal experience I know like the prosecutor like he has called me to check in on me to see how I'm doing to make sure everything's been okay but it, it still comes down to like I don't know I, I I just have no, like, comfort. I have no comfort. Like, you can call me and check in on me, but it's still not going to change the fact that... He could be lurking on your street, you won't even know. Right. Which is what I want to talk to you about. Um, How have you suffered from this? When it was first happening, it took a very big toll on me, um couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, constantly had to pit my stomach. I was always anxious, always looking over my shoulder when I was traveling to work. Um, Because at that point, I had got a new job and he didn't know about it. So I was like petrified that he was going to follow me and find out where I worked to the point where I I had to tell my manager what was going on this way. If anything did happen or if they got some like anonymous letter about me or something crazy, they knew my situation, which is mortifying because I started the job in October, so, and this will start right, in September. Right, you don't have to tell your boss, like, so listen, right. I'm involved in this situation, you know. But I did because I'm, it's a good thing you did, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was in a very dark place for a long time. Very, I can imagine so. Very dark, where I would just lay in bed and I wouldn't know if there was going to be, like, a bang on my door. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if something was going to happen to me. Were you afraid to leave your apartment? I wasn't afraid to leave my apartment as much as I was afraid to be, like, traveling to and from work just because he had showed up on my commute mm-hmm. twice. And he was doing this thing where he was... He, if I remember the days correctly, got arrested on a Wednesday night, got arraigned on a Thursday. That Monday... He parked his car right behind me. To intimidate On you. a street. Mm-hmm. And I... Rem- like, even getting arrested doesn't stop him. That's what I remember <laughs> thinking. I'm like, he literally got arrested. He got arrested over this. <clears throat> but he knows... He's not stupid. And he knew what he was doing. He knew that he... Nothing can be done about that. Because it's a public street. It's public transportation. Which really leads, leads like, all of these, these are, like, signs, because I can't think of the word right now, <laughs> pointing to the fact that he's, he's done this before, because he knows the process, and he knows the laws, or the rules, what, you know, whatever you want to call it, he knows. So he's familiar with this. It's not, it wasn't his first time right. doing this to another female. Yeah, so I um I haven't been I mean, I haven't had to travel to work since COVID happened. So that makes you feel better. I've been fine. But I'm already it's already it's already in the back of my head like especially if I don't go to trial. And then it's like, well, there goes the order of protection and then I kind of feel like it's no holds bar. And what if I am, when we get back to a point in the world where, like, you know, I am commuting back to work. 
And people in my family have told me and friends have told me, like, you should move. You should, you know, take a different method of getting to work and all this stuff. But it's like, why do I have to be the one to flip my world upside down? And not only that, but all it takes is for him to see me one time. One time on public transportation. And he can follow me to my new apartment. He can follow me wherever. And I wouldn't even, you know, I might not even realize it. So what's the point of moving? If if he really wants to find me... He'll find you. He'll find me. And, you know, it's funny. When I was looking up, you know, all the t- statistics, it's one in eight, one in eight um, women who've been stalked had to move. So people do move. But with the with the statistic of 54 of those women reporting, uh, what is it, 76% reporting it and dying or whatever, you know, like whatever I said earlier, it's, does it matter that they moved? <laughs> you know, unless you're moving like out of the state or something. That's, yeah, that's really what I had to, <clears throat> what I had to think about. I'm like, you know, I can, I can, I can change all these things and like say I did all the right steps, but... Like I said, all it takes is one time. Do you feel there are resources available to women um, in regards to this? Like when you went to the police um, and you went to that um, counselor, right? You had to go to a counselor, you said? I don't know if they were like a counselor by title, but I had to sit down with someone who was like, you know, you're in a safe space. You can tell me how you feel. Okay. So that's like... And then I also, when I... Yeah, then I... A mediator, something of some kind of... Yeah. Did, did this person offer you any resources, like support I, groups to go to or hotlines you could call, things of that nature? She told me that she would update me on the progress of my case. How'd that go? I haven't gotten a phone call, but I also think it might be... The courts have been closed for the okay. past couple of months. Um, as far as, like, support groups and stuff, I remember I got a letter in the mail letting me know, like, numbers I can call and stuff, but... Okay. That was it. I wasn't... What what do you think needs to change? What do you think needs to change for ways that women can feel protected in, in this kind of situation? I mean, it's hard to say because it could just be because I have such... Like a... I, I don't know, I just feel like they're they're gonna keep keep doing what they're gonna do, like the stalkers, but you know, I guess legislation can be incorporated more that, you know enhances stalking statutes so it's easier to prosecute and classify as a more serious crime because I, I know like in my case it was stalking and harassment, but like in the lowest degree, I think, for one of them. Okay. Um, legislation can update domestic violence to include stalking and mm-hmm. dating violence. Yeah, because you know that's not something you like hear about dating violence. You know, right? You hear of domestic violence, but you don't. You don't really. We don't really hear of dating violence. Well, I didn't even know like my situation counted as domestic violence. I had no idea. I wouldn't think it would. It wasn't... You were not domestic. I mean, it's not right. like he was living with you. But they said because of the pre-existing relationship. Right. Because there's no legislation probably for dating violence. Right. You know? Clearly, if only one-third of the states even recognize this as a felony. 
that's pretty pathetic, you know? Yeah. I think it's a lot more serious than it's laid out to be, legally. Because it's petrifying. I mean, it is. It's not... Like you said when you opened up, you know, people romanticize it and say like, oh, I would love to have a stalker. No, um, you wouldn't. I know someone who actually always would say that and you know them too. I sure do. Yep. Like, oh my God, I wish someone would stalk me. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know, now she doesn't feel that way, but you know, like just thinking of that, it's just crazy, you know? Yeah. And also too, you know, having domestic violence spoken about in middle school and high school, because it's not something you really learn about. You're right. Or hear about. You don't learn, like, the signs of what abuse looks like or... Right. So if maybe we could educate young women and men to know the early signs and to understand it better. Maybe we could go forward preventing this from happening, you know? Right. I think there's definitely work to be done. Um, it's a scary... It's a scary thing. And it's, you know, like I said, it's, it shouldn't have to get to a point where there needs to be violence involved for it to be like clear cut. This is what happened. Right. He should suffer consequences Mm -hmm. for this. Absolutely. But unfortunately, I mean, from the experience that I'm having, it seems like that's, that's like the golden ticket and that's pretty effed up to even say, but yeah. Well, I really just, I thank you so much for yeah, of course. telling your story. It's really so important for so many people to hear it, honestly. It's going to make me cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I've definitely done a lot of them. Um... It's so scary, and, you know, I met him personally, and I knew the look in his eyes were not that of someone who's well. <laughs> so, you know... I really feel for you and I'm I'm a hundred percent positive that anyone who's listening to this episode is going to want to know down the road what you decided and what that outcome was so would you be willing to come back and talk about that down the road yeah I definitely would um it's something you know because of COVID I haven't really had to I kind of been using this cushion to work on myself and get into a better place. Right. Um, so I haven't really been thinking about... Like, it used to... Con- in the beginning, it consumed my everyday. It was completely everything I thought about. But, you know, yeah, I would definitely be willing to come back and see what I end up deciding. I don't, you know... I can't tell you if I'm leaning one way over the other because I don't know if it's just prolonging the inevitable. Meaning, you know, if I get the year, if it's just going to... Either it's something that's going to happen now where he starts bothering me again, or I'm just going to wait a year for him to start bothering me again. I just, right. So there's a lot that goes into that decision, but... You have a lot to think about. I do. Well, once again, thank you for being my guest. Thank you for having me. Uh, anytime. And with that said, um, I hope this helped some of you out there. Um, if you've dealt with this... Or even just to recognize the warning signs of an abusive, unhealthy relationship. Um, And as always, thank you for listening.